in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, While quarantined in my room the week before last with the, the flu, one of the things that Netflix suggested that I watch was a, a series called Mad Men. Maybe some of you have seen it. I think it ended a, a few years ago. I only managed to consume a couple seasons of the show before I was uh, allowed to roam the, the rest of the house and, and come out from, from my room. Uh, but if you haven't seen it, it's all about the uh, 1960s Madison Avenue advertising industry, hence Mad Men, the, the, the movers and shakers in that, in that industry. Uh, it's quite interesting. The, uh, the main character, his name is Don Draper. He's kind of the, the guru who can sell anything to anyone. He's as, he's as slick as can be. And, and I think kind of the, the subtext, not too subtle, of the whole show is that while Don is out there pushing everybody else's product, he himself is kind of the main product. He doesn't really have a history. No one really knows where he's from. No one really knows what makes him tick or or why he does what he does. He's not just a madman, Madison Avenue man, but he is a a made-up man. Slick as can be, uh, the most beautiful outward appearance that's the envy of men and women alike, but there's really no there, there. Well, at, at one point, halfway through the first season or so, I think it is, he's kind of forced into conversation uh, with the, the, the hipster friends of one of his several paramours. And these guys despise Don and everything he, he stands for, these kind of proto-hippies who've dropped out of the whole capitalist thing. They, they, they despise him. They see, they see right through him like no one else. And at the height of the conversation, the kind of head hipster, he, he looks at Don, and with this uh, accusing voice, he looks at him and he says, you create want. You create want. That's the lie. Our Old Testament reading for this first Sunday in Lent is a story uh, most of you were probably familiar with. Even folks who don't know much of the Bible could probably give you the, the outline of the story about the snake and the apple and Eve. And there's a lot of ways you could and should go with that important uh, passage of the, the fall in Genesis chapter 3. But this morning... This morning, I want you to hear that story as a you-create-want story. To see the snake as a sort of proto-Don Draper, who's not so much pushing fruit on Adam and Eve, as seeking to open their eyes to want, to need, to see with eyes that see a lack. I mean, you know that that's how advertising works. You don't have to go to, to school to figure that out. Even the way we know advertising works doesn't, doesn't keep it from working. Advertising 101, create the mirage of need, of want, of a lack, and then fill it. Uh, show some picture of beautiful, energetic people having the, the time of their lives. More beautiful, more energetic, having a better time than you ever have with the implication that you can have that too. In fact, that you should have it, that you deserve to have it, and that you can have it if you only have X. 
just uh, wash your clothes and tie detergent or wear uh, uh, this form of secret deodorant. Or if you only drive this kind of car, the kind of car that Matthew McConaughey drives, at least in the commercial, not in real life, (laughs) then voila, all your needs will be met. And so the snake, the snake, craftier than all the other animals, slickest madman in the bunch, says to Eve, so did God really say? Of course, Eve knows exactly what God says. She does not have a memory problem. I'm assuming that before the fall, their memories were absolutely fine, that Eve knew exactly what God said, and the snake knew that Eve knew exactly what God says. But the snake is slick. In fact, I don't think the question so much questions God as suggests to Eve that questioning God is something you can even do. Maybe it's something like this. You might imagine a slimy guy at a bar trying to pick up a married woman. When she protests that she's married, he says, but are you really married? Of course, she knows she's married. But just suggesting to the woman that she can be something she'd before not even contemplated, that she could be not married if she didn't want to be, at least for a night. And so the question to Eve, more than anything, suggests something she'd never thought of before. That perhaps the very good intentions of her creator were something that could be questioned. And with that, he's got her. Time to create the want. Oh, yeah, sure. There's lots of fruit out there. Um, some of it's pretty good, but you have not lived. You have not lived until you have tasted this one special fruit. Oh, and I can't imagine what kind of God. What kind of God would ever want you to miss out on that? See? See this God? He's keeping something from you, something you deserve, uh, something that you just won't be complete without, something that will make you much more than you already are, maybe even like God. And don't you and the, the man here with you, don't you deserve that? And with that, what happens? Want. Remember the line, you create want. Want happens. Then their eyes are opened. They see the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, to be desired, to make one wise. It says they saw the tree. The tree was there the whole time. The tree didn't suddenly appear out of, out of thin air, out of smoke. The apples on the tree did not suddenly get larger and shinier. The only reason Eve wanted it was because Don, the snake draper, created want convinced her she needed it, that she was not enough without it. And until she had it, she couldn't be happy or energetic or beautiful or godlike, whatever she deserves to be, and so she eats. He creates want. Another way to put that is to say he creates insecurity, yours. He creates fear of not measuring up, yours. He creates rivalry and distrust. For as soon as you think you lack, you start comparing your lack to the lack of the lackey next to you. That's advertising 201. (laughs) He creates vulnerability. I don't have enough, and so I need to protect my stuff. Better, Better start hoarding the things I have. He created, in short, I would posit, all the stuff that makes you argue with your spouse. (laughs) All the things that make you blame your parents. All the stuff that makes you hoard your goods to run and hide and sew together fig leaves. Do whatever it takes to conceal from yourself and others 
the mess we make of the world when we are duped into thinking that our Creator's love is something that can't be trusted. Their eyes are opened. They see they're they're naked the whole time. But the point is now they began to see themselves not through the eyes of the Creator who only loved them, but now they start seeing themselves through wanting eyes. Eyes that see what's not there. Eyes that say, not enough, scared, frightened, insecure. One of the other things that uh, Netflix suggested that I watch, I think because I might have marked it uh, a year or two ago, was a, a movie. A movie called Eighth Grade. Probably, maybe Netflix knows me so well that I used to have an eighth grader like a year ago. So maybe, who knows? Uh, it's a story of this girl named Kayla. It's a good movie. A girl named Kayla, I'm trying to survive uh, the last week of a disastrous eighth grade, hence the title. I mean, that's, that's what the, the surface plot is about, but it's really the story about all of us who have long left eighth grade, but who still slog through life, seeing ourselves through the eyes of others. Starts with, with, with Kayla. It's always funny, but it's a funny sad, the whole movie. With Kayla making a YouTube video, she makes hundreds of these. Uh, making a YouTube video, it says, starts off saying, today's topic, um, being yourself. And then it's kind of this sing-songy, happy, kind of cool, I'm talking to the video. You know, it's really hard to be yourself, but you know, you're great the way you are, and you shouldn't care what other people think about yourself. Just be yourself. And then she signs off in this bubbly voice. Her whole face to, uh, changes when she then checks uh, the view count of how many people have watched her her YouTube videos and she lets out this depressed sigh when no one has. (laughs) She she spends two hours in the morning with this rigorous beauty routine, doing her hair, makeup, looking everything perfect. She woke up at five in the morning to do this only to carefully put her pajamas back on and slide into bed so that she can take a selfie of herself to post on Instagram that says, just woke up. She's got a massive backpack, which I take as a metaphor for the huge burden of expectations. Every time she looks in the mirror, she sees not her face, but the face of the the class beauty, Kennedy. Kennedy's big blue eyes looking back at her saying, you are not me. You don't measure up. Well, the saddest scene happens at the end, toward the end of the movie. Um, They've, in sixth grade, before at the beginning of middle school, all the kids made these... um, uh, time capsules, shoe boxes, put little things in there that they wanted their eighth grade self to see. And so Kayla's in sixth grade. She had made it said to the coolest girl in the world. It's all flowery and there's little knickknacks inside. There's a, a thumb drive with a video of the sixth grade Kayla talking to the future eighth grade Kayla of how awesome middle school is going to be. Of course, it was horrible. Well, she, Kayla, the eighth grade version, she asked her dad one evening, he said, would you help me burn something? Single dad who doesn't have much of a, a conversational relationship with his daughter says, oh, I guess. So they're out there by a little campfire in the, the backyard of their suburban home, and Kayla takes her uh, time capsule box and sets it on the fire. Her dad says, Kayla, what's that? And then in a way that only a uh, somewhat distance, distant eighth grade girl can say, uh, she says, oh, it's just my hopes and dreams. Oh, oh. Up in smoke. Her life lived 
through seeing herself through the eyes of those who could only say, you are not enough, you don't measure up, you're ugly, you're sad, sorry excuse for an eighth grader, goes up in smoke, no peace, no joy, no happiness, no contentment, which is exactly what the old evil foe wants us to do. He wants us to do all sorts of crazy stuff and all the sins that we fall into, all the mess we make of our world, but it all starts from that root of him convincing us, convincing you, that you lack, that you need, that you're not enough. He creates want. As you're sitting there at the campfire, watching her hopes and dreams go up in smoke, and her dad's, uh, what do you do? Um, as if it could not get more sad, uh, Kayla looks at her dad and says, Dad, do I make you sad? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Maybe it's because I was sick, but even at that moment watching the movie, you know, the eyes well up. Can you think of a more horrible thing as a father, as a parent, to have your child look at you and say, do I make you sad? At that point, Kayla's dad, he, he leans in on her. He says, Kayla, look at me. It is so easy to love you. It is so easy to be proud of you. It's a joy to watch you grow up. And he says, if you could only see yourself as I see you, you would be so proud. The father says to Kayla, if you could only see yourself as I see you. Another father says that too. Your father. Your heavenly father. If you could only see yourself as I see you, as my child, as my beloved, as my enough, not enough in the way that there's nothing wrong with us. We have that whole mess that we make of all the stuff we do, the running, the blaming, the hiding, the things that we get involved in trying to to make up for the, the loss of that trust with our father. But enough in the sense that you are absolutely enough, nothing you could possibly do or be to make me love you anymore. That's what God said to little Mason, wherever he went. He left the building already. See, he's so happy. He's out celebrating his baptism. It's what God said to Mason. It's what he says to each of you and your baptism. And he says to you over and over, every time you gather here or any place like this, he says, the serpent is a liar. He says, the Don Drapers of the world are frauds. He says, Kennedy, looking back at you in the mirror, she is as insecure as you are. He says, you are my beloved, forgiven, cherished, beautiful, enough now and forever child who has everything. By my grace, has everything you could ever need. See yourselves through those eyes. Instead of the wanting eyes of the drapers, the Kennedys, or the serpent. See yourself through those eyes. See yourself through the eyes of your Savior gazing at you from the cross. From the cross where for joy, joy, he gave up everything that you can be his forever. He is so proud, so happy to call you his friend. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.